Welcome to VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University focused on the impacts of climate change on animal health. Hey fans, this is Zoe Olmsted and Holly Haroon. And we're going to talk about how climate change is expanding the distribution of parasites using heartworm as a case example, since it applies to basically all of us with pets at home. We also had the great pleasure of talking to Dr. Marianne Crumdick, who is not only a veterinarian, but also an owner of a dog that was heartworm positive. What is heartworm? Scientifically known as Dirofilaria imitis, heartworm is a nematode found worldwide. Although research has shown that heartworm is spreading and becoming more prevalent with increasing global temperatures. According to the Companion Animal Parasite Council, a great resource for all your parasite needs and inquiries. From 2012 to 2021, the prevalence of heartworm in the U.S. has increased from 1.16% to 1.23%. Which might not seem like a lot, but this increase has occurred despite the veterinary communities developing preventative strategies and educational programs. In 2021, the states with the highest incidence of heartworm have been Louisiana with 5.95%, Arkansas with 4.08%, and Mississippi with 8.04% prevalence. So what does climate change have to do with heartworm? Heartworms start their life cycle in mosquitoes where larvae, also called microfilaria, develop through multiple stages until they are infective. When the mosquito bites a dog, the infective larvae are passed to the dog. The larvae then migrate to the heart, lungs, and blood vessels, taking about six months to mature into adults before releasing their own microfilaria. A different mosquito will then ingest the microfilaria from the infected dog when they take a blood meal and the cycle starts all over again. Recent research by Sasno et al. has shown that temperature affects how long it takes for larval stages of heartworm to incubate inside of mosquitoes. At 30 degrees Celsius, or 86 degrees Fahrenheit, larvae can complete their development in 8 to 9 days, whereas at 18 degrees Celsius, 64 degrees Fahrenheit, development takes 29 days. As climate change increases the number in warmer days we see, this can cause a substantial increase in the speed at which heartworm populations develop. Additionally, it could increase the seasonality of when heartworm infections are most likely. What has been historically thought of as a summer disease is rapidly becoming more common year-round. As we mentioned, we talked to a colleague who works as a veterinarian in Illinois and who happened to actually adopt a heartworm-positive dog. We were so grateful that she was able to chat with us because she was able to provide the unique perspective of treating and helping prevent heartworm in her patients at the clinic and having to provide and go through treatment as a client with her own dog, Moose. The point of our podcast is we're trying to talk about how heartworm prevalence is increasing along with climate change as um, temperatures are warming. And so we just wanted to know if you personally feel in like more recent years have seen an increase in heartworm at all in your practice? Yeah, and I was thinking about that. So I've got, you know, about a 15-year history with my hospital. Um, and we, I would say when I first started practicing, it would be like, I felt like we would get maybe two or three a year um, of heartworm positives. Um and then as time, and you know, and then we had that period where we couldn't even get emeticide 
So we were having to recommend kind of like the slow kill method or whatever um, for a couple of years until we could get imidacide again. And then um, I would say, I would say there has definitely been an increase. So now, and I don't have the exact data, but I would say um, now we are probably in the like six to eight per year. And I was going to mention this too. It seems like in our area, um, we've been getting a lot of shipments of dogs from like southern states mm-hmm. where they don't have, you know, maybe the same like shelter. Like some of their shelters are full and things like that. And we have space, I guess, in our shelters in our area. So we get a lot of dogs from like Tennessee and like Alabama and things like that where it's like summer all year round. Um extending, you know, kind of the prime heartworm season. This is becoming much more common practice, especially with the increase in natural disasters that could also be attributed to climate change. Hurricanes, floods, wildfires, and other natural disasters all contribute to the movement of dogs to new areas. If these dogs are heartworm positive, this can cause the spread of the parasite to areas where it is less frequently seen. I actually got a dog who is also named Moose, from a shelter in Colorado that gets puppies every month from the Navajo Nation Reservation in the Four Corners area. And his sister was heartworm positive, which helps support the fact that used to be stray dogs that are being transported up for adoption may actually be bringing heartworm to where it was previously considered uncommon. This is also something to think about when you're bringing your pets with you for travel, which is becoming more and more popular. You could likely be exposing them to areas in which heartworm-carrying mosquitoes are a lot more active and prevalent than at your own home. Heartworm, along with fleas, ticks, and intestinal parasites, is one of the main things your pet's doctor will tell you about when you come in with a puppy or a newly adopted dog. They might tell you something like this. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it starts when they're puppies. So when they come in for their puppy visit, we always send all the puppies home, they get a first free dose of some type of heartworm prevention. Uh, so we, and we start, so we start talking about it then. You know, I do, I do recommend it year round, you know, and I usually say for three reasons. One would be that heartworm is a year round parasite. It is obviously much, you know, it's much more common to contract it because it's transmitted by mosquitoes, you know, in the warmer months. Um, so that, that is true that it is, that's higher risk, but it's recommended year round, um, also because intestinal parasites, you know, are also something that you can get in the, um, in the cooler months. And, you know, I've seen mosquitoes in my house in the winter, not a lot, but I do occasionally see, you know, see a few mosquitoes. And mm-hmm. so it still is possible that they can, they can get it in the winter. And then there's the intestinal parasites. That's the second reason. And then the third reason is most of the companies that produce heartworm preventatives, they will back up their products and they will actually cover the cost of heartworm treatment. If the dog contracts heartworm and the owner has followed all the recommendations of their veterinarian, which typically is, you know, their heartworm tested once a year, you know, and if we have on record that you purchased 12 months of heartworm prevention, you know, from us and you're, I mean, you know, we have to take your word for it that you're giving it to them once a month. Um, we, we have definitely gotten money for the clients for that. Why do we have to run a blood test to make sure they're negative first? Why can't we just start them on preventatives? 
The drugs and heartworm preventatives can kill the immature heartworms, which you'd assume would be a good thing, right? Unfortunately, these worms, if they get killed, have the potential to cause an anaphylactic reaction in your dog since its immune system is now working to rid the body of the dead worms and their debris. They can also possibly embolize within the blood vessels and cause damaging effects to the lungs and heart. Yeah, what they tell us is like, you know, we want to kill the worms slowly, um, but when we give that, because um, if we kill them all at once, then you're going to have, you know, all these <laughs> dead worms, worms that are hanging bre- that are yeah that are breaking up, and the concern is that like a piece a piece of the worm would like go into the and go into the lungs and cause essentially like a pulmonary embolism, but uh-huh. like it wouldn't be a blood piece; it would be like a piece of the worm. <laughs> That's the way I always understood it. What's the difference between prevention and treatment? Can't you just deworm them? Yeah. So can you tell us about the heartworm treatment for your moose? Yeah. So like I said, it would be a little bit different. Uh, so the treatment for her was, was actually like very basic. So this was 2005 or four. Um, we still had access to imidacide because like when I started practicing, there were several years there where there was like a major back order of imidacide. And we actually couldn't even properly like treat animals with heartworm for like a good three, four years. Um, but back to Bruce. So I said I was going to adopt her, you know, and basically she got two, she didn't really, you know, normally we would do chest x-rays, a more comprehensive probably blood work panel. And we didn't really do any of that. I, I don't think, I mean, I was like, I think it just kind of, we treated her. She was help, you know, healthy, quote unquote meaning showing no clinical signs. And she got two injections of aminocide 24 hours apart. And then I took her home. And then, of course, you know, an eight-week period of strict cage rest. Uh, Yeah, I remember because I, she didn't really know me because I, you know, had just gotten her and she got loose on me. (laughs) Like And I was like, oh my goodness. Like she was running around my, kind of apartment complex parking lot and I was panicking <laughs> because she, I was like, this is the worst possible thing. <laughs> but, and so of course I, you know, as a vet student, I jumped on bin and I like was, you know, like contacting the cardiologist and they're like, okay, she's probably going to be okay. <laughs> but and she, she was fine. So. I'm curious, is the cage rest then harder to do with some of the like more high energy breeds like huskies or something? Or are they like sick enough that like the cage rest is not that much of a burden? You know, typically they're like young dogs um, Mm -hmm. and they have a lot of energy and we have had to send like sedatives home, (laughs) you know, because these dogs, they want to play, like they want to be active. You know, and, and sometimes, to be honest, in a, you know, they, you have, like, what's recommended, and then you have, like, do the best you can, mm-hmm. um, you know. I mean, and I know even with my dog, I tried to keep her cage rested initially, and then it kind of ended up being, like, okay, she could be out, but we're not going to, like, actively play with her, and she has to be leash walked. So sometimes that ends up happening just because the dogs are just miserable in the cage. Heartworm prevention isn't necessarily cheap. 
which is a very common reason that some clients choose not to treat, especially when they live in colder climates. What's the cost of prevention versus the cost of treatment? And are there any alternative prevention brand options? Yeah, I'd say average in our area might be about fifteen hundred dollars for for everything. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm, and that probably probably varies. But you know, for your chest, your first visit of like you know your chest X-rays and your your blood work and your confirmation test, and I'd imagine probably it could probably fifteen hundred to three thousand, depending on where you live, would be my guess. And we're probably at the lower end. Okay, that's but, good to know. Um. Just a follow-up question about the cage rest. Is that just to make sure that their heart, like, stays calm and not getting overactive because of the stress of the worms in the heart? Yeah. So, um, yeah, what they tell us is, like, you know, we want to kill the worms slowly, um, but when we give that, um, because if we kill them all at once, then you're going to have, you know, all these dead worms, dead worms that are just hanging out. So if I know someone is like, you know, I can't afford like three hundred dollars of heartworm prevention or whatever, there there are so many just generic heartworm preventions that are, you know, like Iverheart or you know, ones that are still good, like Verbac and things like that. But I mean honestly you can get a year's worth of heartworm prevention for like less than a hundred dollars through a, a reputable online source, like through that hospital, because even though we don't carry Iverheart, you know, you, you can get it on our on our website. As a dog owner, the best thing to do is to have these conversations with your veterinarian. We know that those first few puppy visits can be overwhelming. We're bombarding you with all this, you need this vaccine and that preventative and don't feed that food. As doctors, we are always open to follow-up questions. So if you're not sure about something, just ask. And when your dog is on heartworm prevention, it's crucial to give monthly. As veterinarians, or future veterinarians in our case, We should be diligent in educating ourselves and our clients about the best heartworm preventative practices. Dr. K is a huge fan of the American Heartworm Society website as an aid for all things heartworm. And and usually what I do, like when I get, like as a veterinarian, if I get a heartworm positive dog, um, I usually go to the American Heartworm Society webpage. I go to the heartworm toolkit kind of resource and it's, it's really nice because it has all their recommendations and all you do is like, okay, diagnosed on what day you put in the, the date that basically whatever antigen test usually is what people use initially was positive. And then we always do a secondary test where we do like a, a heartworm confirmation panel and then it looks for microfilaria. It's that, and then I think it does a slight... I'm not sure if it's just a second antigen test, but I know they look for microfilaria. And then the Heartworm Toolkit sets up the entire, you know, basically about... I mean, the whole thing is about, like, a nine-month process. And I have to... I really do rely on the timeline that the Heartworm Toolkit gives us. Um, and I just... I literally just follow that, and I, I, do, I do everything that's on there. Today, we just discussed heartworm as a case example, but it's also important for veterinarians to recognize that climate change is increasing the prevalence of other parasites, viruses, and bacteria as well. Dirofilaria life cycles aren't the only ones that favor warmer climates. Chagos disease, Fasciola, Schistosoma, hookworms, Giardia, and Cryptosporidia have all been shown to be increasing with climate change. This should be kept in mind when creating differential lists 
and choosing diagnostic tests, as you might need to start considering diseases that weren't previously found in your area of practice. We just wanted to thank Dr. K one last time for speaking with us, and thank you all for tuning in. Go ahead and hit the like and subscribe button. There's a couple new episodes every year. Thanks for joining us on VetCast, Veterinary Climate Action and Sustainability Talks, the podcast created by veterinary students at Colorado State University. To find more resources about this topic and details about each episode, check out the show notes. Thanks and see you next time on VetCast.